It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm your host, Jason Breifel. Uh, I'm here hosting today our pre-Veterans Day program, and I'm excited to have in studio uh, four guests, uh, three from federal agencies and one from a veteran service organization, uh, to talk about the uh, the five-year anniversary of the Vow to Hire Heroes Act, as well as other areas and programs that, that these organizations are working on to ensure uh, that our veterans are able to uh, find uh, productive employment and uh, opportunities following their time serving our, our country. Uh, I'd like to introduce our, our guests in the studio here. Uh, we have Curtis Coy, the Deputy Undersecretary of Economic Opportunity at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Ariel DeJesus, the Assistant Director of Veterans Employment and Education at the American Legion. Bill Matheny, the Acting Director of National Programs and Director of Field Operations at the Department of Labor's Veterans Employment and Training Services. And Dr. Karen Orvis, the Acting Director of the Transition to Veterans Program Office within the Department of Defense. Uh, thank you all for being here today. Uh, I really appreciate it, and I'm excited about our conversation. Uh, before we dive in, I think uh, it might be helpful for our listeners just to hear a little bit about uh, your your organizations, um, and uh, and then we'll dive into the conversation around how you all have been uh, working together uh, on these issues. Uh, we'll we'll start, uh, ladies first. Karen, let's let's start with you. Sure, certainly. Well, happy to be here today. And as you said, I'm the acting director of the DOD's Transition to Veterans Program Office. And our office is responsible for overseeing the implementation and the evaluation of the Transition Assistance Program for the DOD. We work closely with our six interagency partners and the services uh, in terms of that implementation and that evaluation. Great. Hi, my name is uh, Ariel, and again, thank, thank you for having us here. I am the Assistant Director with the American Legion, the Veterans Employment and Education Division. Within that division, we're, we're all really responsible for any issues really pertaining to employment and or education for veterans. Uh, my per particular portfolio, I focus more on veterans' preference um, and, again, any other issues that may be related to, to veteran issues concerning employment. Definitely happy to be here. Um, I work very closely, and I start looking around at the uh, TAP programs and, and any other uh, agencies that are out there helping our veterans. We definitely want to make sure that our veterans are not just uh, gainfully employed, but meaningfully employed as well. Absolutely. Thank you, Ariel. Well, good morning, Jason. Uh, happy almost Veterans Day. Uh, my office uh, is responsible for uh, all the education programs for VA, the GI Bill, and probably most specifically the post 9-11 GI Bill, uh, vocational rehabilitation and employment for uh, our wounded warriors and disabled veterans, uh, the VA home loan program, uh, which is a great program and, and specially adapted housing grants for uh, severely disabled veterans, uh, transition issues and uh, veteran employment issues. 
Uh, so it's a full plate, and it's great to be here to talk about it. Great. Glad to have you here, Curtis. Hi, Jason. This is Bill. And uh, over in the Department of Labor, the Veterans Employment and Training Service is focused on veterans in a few key ways. We prepare veterans for the transition, along with um, those going through transition themselves, veterans who have already transitioned, and their family members. We provide them with employment services as they're going through transition and afterwards. We also protect their employment rights uh, through investigating claims where uh, either some of their uh, veterans' preference or other employment rights may have been violated. And we certainly promote employment opportunities in a variety of measures across the country. Great. Thank you, Bill. And thank you again all for, for being here today. Well, well, let's dive into to the meat of our conversation today and uh, start talking about the uh, the fifth year anniversary of the uh, Veterans Opportunity to Work, the Vow to Hire Heroes Act, which was passed by Congress in uh, 2011. And uh, Curtis, you want to uh, kick us off and let us know, you know, what were some of the drivers that, that led to, to the passage of, of that um, piece of legislation? Well, it's a great question, Jason. Well, uh, I think uh, for most of us, uh, this uh, whole effort started around uh, August of 2011. Uh, President Obama gave a speech at the Washington Navy Yard, and part of that speech was about veteran unemployment, which at the time was about 10% and higher than the national average. Uh, and so he directed uh, the VA and DOD uh, to establish a task force to take a look at this. Uh, I was on that original task force, so I'm the gray beard in the room. Uh, and what we quickly discovered was uh, our veterans were not prepared uh, to transition f- to civilian life. Uh, in fact, the secretary at the time made an interesting observation. And his observation was, you know, we spend about four months taking a civilian and making turning them into a, a sailor or a soldier or airman or uh, marine. And then on the other end, uh, we spend a day or sometimes even less uh, preparing them for civilian life all over again. And so when you put it in that context, it makes a huge, huge difference. Um, so what we saw was was that the transition assistance program that we had at the time uh, was an optional event. Uh, for VA, the TAP was uh, a collection of about 110 PowerPoint slides that if you got real lucky over the course of a few hours, somebody would read them all to you. Uh, so pretty soon you'd, you'd know that uh, uh, the TAP program was not working. Uh, we also discovered very, very quickly uh, that it shouldn't be just a DOD and VA task force. We needed our partners from labor in there, uh, from SBA and, and some of the other agencies to include it. Uh, the end of 2011 or so, uh, Congress created the Vow to Hire Heroes Act, uh, and the president signed it, uh, and that jump-started us all into what we were doing today. Great. Thank you. And, and this is Bill. You know, um, Kurt talked about uh, what what sort of started and precipitated this. To, to give it a sense of scale, those, those high unemployment rates that veterans were facing back then, 7% for overall veterans— well, over 12% for the um, those who had deployed Afghanistan and Iraq. When you turn that into raw numbers, that's over 900,000 unemployed veterans at the time. And so this was something that had to be addressed. And I think um, to Kurt's point, you know, when, when the president pulled this task force together, it was because there was a clear need. 10 years after 9-11, um, 10 years at war, the services rose and grew to, to meet those needs, and then we had produced all these veterans, and here's where we were. So I think it was a critical time and uh, an example of how 
the um, federal government was able to recognize and move forward and address it. Um, great. Well, thank you. It's it's great to have some context on 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 what initiated this process and um, and where we and and uh, and I guess now let's let's kind of start into uh, what have been some of the successes of 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 your work together in um, in these past five years and in, in in driving improvement in these programs um, and working to drive down those those numbers. Hi, this is Karen again. So I want to highlight, first of all, a sentiment that's already been said, but what one success is we truly have a strong interagency partnership that was developed to ensure that our transitioning service members are career ready. So that's a significant outcome. Our interagency partners, in fact, have developed a interagency TAP evaluation plan so that we can assure that our program is being executed according to law and policy, that it's meeting our customers' needs, so our service members and our spouses that are going through the program, and also that it's an effective program. And some evidence that we're seeing in terms of that evaluation plan, and we, we track that very closely, we're, we're looking at the metrics on a quarterly, annually basis, we see from the service member's perspective and the spouses that the, that the redesigned program is meeting their needs, that they find the program valuable, we have a, to give you a sense, we have an online participant assessment that service members and spouses will complete as they're going through the transition assistance program. So as they go through different modules and tracks, they have the opportunity to provide feedback on the program. How are the facilitators? How's the content? How are the facilities? Think of your typical course evaluation. And what we see is our service members are saying that they're more confident in being able to successfully transition. We're seeing over 85% of our service members saying that that they intend to use the materials that they've gained in this program to help with their transition. They know where to reach out for more resources as they're planning that transition. And we're seeing if we tie it back to the VOW Act, for instance, one of the metrics we're tracking is our service members completing the mandatory pieces of the TAP program according to the VOW Act. So that is, are they completing pre-separation counseling? Are they going through the DOL's employment workshop? And do they have the VA benefits briefing? And we've seen, for numbers-wise, if we're looking at, uh, right now we have fiscal year 16 data, and almost the full year, but not quite. We have over 96% of our service members that we have verified data from the Defense Manpower Data Center, indicating that those folks have met the VOW Act requirements. And we also are seeing that over 95% are meeting these new career readiness standards, which I think we'll end up talking about, but they are the new foundation of the transition assistance program. And we're finding that folks are meeting those career readiness standards. And if they're not, they're receiving a warm handover to an appropriate partner agency to ensure they get that support before they transition. Great. Thanks, Karen. I, um, we're going to come back with and, and flesh this out a little bit more and hear from from Curtis as well as Ariel. And I want to hear how uh, your members of the American Legion are uh, uh, your feedback that you're gaining from them on this uh, after our first break. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. 
is nothing. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Uh, today we're featuring our pre-Veterans Day conversation with guests from the Department of Veterans Affairs, the Department of Labor, um, the DOD, as well as the American Legion, talking about uh, how we're helping our veterans, uh, once they leave and transition out of service, uh, gainful and meaningful employment. And um, before the break, um, Karen Orvis from uh, the DOD was was talking about um, some of the work that, that's been going on here. And uh, Curtis wanted to, to hear from you to continue that conversation. And then uh, Ariel, I'm uh, curious to, to hear about some of the feedback from, from your members at the American Legion about how some of these changes uh, uh, um, are being perceived out there in the field. Yeah, thanks, Jason. All right. I, I would suggest that uh, from me looking at this from the past five years or so, uh, the most successful outcome has been uh, the most significant cultural shift I've seen since I've been in government. Um, I often tell people that I was in that very first task force meeting where uh, VA was in the room and DOD came in uh, and each of the services were there, um, Army, Navy, Air, Air Force, Marines, uh, and there were uh, admirals and generals from each of those services, and uh, I would characterize their attitude as somewhat grumpy. And they were somewhat grumpy because they said, I'm a warfighter, I fly airplanes, I drive ships, I, uh, I do these things, uh, and I love my troops. But when they get out of the Army or Navy or Air Force Marines, then I wish them well, but they're not my responsibility anymore. Today we have programs like Soldier for Life, um, and all the services have those kinds of things. So you kind of look at that. And you've seen where the White House has uh, their Joining Forces program, a wonderful, wonderful event. Interestingly, yesterday um, I was talking before the break. Uh, I did a keynote speech for the uh, Chamber of Commerce Hire Our Heroes event. Uh, and it was a big gala dinner that evening um, that celebrated successes of companies that do these kinds of things. And one of the things that I said was we went from over 10 percent or so to 4% today in terms of veteran unemployment. You also look at some of these things and you say, employers now see veterans as a valuable commodity. And we've gone from looking at veterans as sort of an off group where today they commissioned a study and they interviewed 400 HR professionals. And hiring veterans was the number three thing on their list of accomplishments that they need to do. The first was hiring people uh, with higher education. The second was their hiring uh, of women. Uh, and then the third was hiring veterans. So you've seen this huge cultural shift go from um, DOD considering veterans as sort of the former soldiers to now uh, those veterans are members of that service for their entire lifetime. Very interesting. How, how, how have you seen that play out with your members in, in the American Legion? One of the things we've noticed, um, and we're forgetting that uh, we have our National Guards and we have our reservists. Uh, I, I know prior before that, you know, if you was in the National Guard and reserves, once you completed your your tour at times, you, you just you just left. Uh, what I realized and I noticed is that now they're being included in a lot of the um, transitioning portions that, you know, particular tap course. It's going on, so it's not just letting them go out there, um, and and then fending for themselves. So one of the things we did notice was the more inclusiveness of the National Guard and the reserves. Um, 
and, and bringing them into the fold. And again, why they're still, you know, part-time or, or uh, serving part-time in the military and they do have their regular uh, jobs, when they leave, they get activated for a certain amount of time. So they need to be properly uh, retrained, if you wish, to go back out there and continue to be productive citizens uh, in, the, in the community. So definitely seeing that as, as a huge improvement um, with the class. I know I sat in, in a few courses, and I noticed that um, we had quite a few uh, National Guards uh, reserves as well as their spouses in there. So that's definitely um, definitely huge, um, and we don't want to forget that group. So. This is Bill. You know, uh, Ariel just hit a, a key point that as we talk about some of these services that are, are offered to our transitioning service members, I think another key point, um, a cultural shift that Kurt pointed out, is that um, we're talking about family members being um, able to access these services as well. And they can access them in a number of different ways. They can go to their family support centers on their post-camp station and attend these same classes with their uh, service members. A lot of materials are available offline. And so uh, they can look at them before, during, and after. So I think uh, the, the holistic approach, not just from an interagency perspective, but thinking through who that service member is all the way through their service and beyond and the people that are important in their lives, living their lives with them, are, are part of the other shift that's happened just in these last five years. And I think Bill uh, brings home a really incredibly valuable point. If you look at all of the programs, the word and families is included in that. It's a, another piece of cultural shift mm -hmm. that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. So family members can now attend TAP. It's joining forces for veterans, service members, and their families. Uh, there's whole institutes that create uh, programs, and they're always ending in and families. So it's, it's a really uh, important recognition that uh, those folks in DOD uh, – the families have to endure a lot, uh, and that carries on after they get out of the service. So it's an important distinction. Agree. And, and I would just add, as far as other successful outcomes, the key collaboration that we're now seeing between government and industry and communities is a key piece to the success as well. So there are things to do on the front end and the back end from the federal government side, but certainly it's involving the communities and the industries that these service members are either coming back to if they are National Guard or Reservists or uh, transitioning into if they are active duty. And, and you know, I think the, the proof is is kind of in the data. The Department of Labor put out the, the jobs report today, uh, 161,000 new, new jobs nationally and uh, Veterans unemployment is, is holding steady at 4.3%. And, and uh, it sounds like from this conversation that the cultural shift that's being driven, the, the more holistic uh, perspective of, of both veterans, their family members, their other folks, that, that this, the, this effort really appears to, to be working. And, and I commend you all for that. I think it's, it's a wonderful success story. Not, uh, there's not been any studies that tie TAP to directly to the unemployment rate. Uh, and those kinds of things. But when you think about, uh, Bill pointed out before uh, we started that uh, for the 25th month in a row, veterans unemployment has been underneath the national average. Uh, there's a key recognition by employers of the value veterans bring to their organizations. And what 
this study that the chamber did as well was point out that now HR professionals are developing programs to train their companies on what the military is about and what veterans are about and the rich suite of benefits that veterans bring to their companies. And so we went from five years ago uh, of companies not sure that they want to hire veterans and um, and there was some degree of apprehension that uh, veterans were sometimes damaged goods, if you will. Uh, and today uh, you have companies that are hiring veterans uh, coordinators to, to teach their companies how to hire veterans and to make sure that those veterans uh, get their, their due. And what companies are finding is is that veterans are good for business. They bring a large suite of characteristics and traits that many others don't have. You know, um, Karen was talking about sort of the, the power of thinking local and local communities. And I think each of us uh, here today can, can attest to that. You know, um, the American Legion has a presence across the country in communities all over the nation. And so as they're looking to, to help and serve veterans, they're there. Um, the VA has a presence across the country in all kinds of different um, looks and feels to serve those veterans. And the Department of Labor has employment centers, American job centers, in almost, 20, almost 2,500 of these job centers around the country. So you don't have to travel far, go far, and in a t- the connected world of today, by telephone, email, and internet, you can reach out quickly, and all these services are connected with each other. Um, so if you're a veteran that's going through some vocational rehabilitation employment um, work with the VA, they get connected with their local job center, they get some labor market information, they go back to the VA to get their training, and then they, we move on to placement. So the integration that's happened over these past five years, you know, Kurt highlighted and you highlighted the unemployment rate, the consistently low unemployment rate is one of the testaments that it's starting to work. That's that's such great news to to hear, and um, I'm you know I want to put in a placeholder for us um, for, for before we end the program um, to to make sure that we provide information on on where folks can go for more information about the programs uh, that you all lead um, that the government that that VSOs like the American Legion and others have. Um, you know, Kurt also mentioned the the Chamber of Commerce's uh, Hire Our Heroes initiative. Uh, definitely want to make sure that we put in a plug for those and make sure that people know where to uh, find more information uh, about those um, issues. Uh, with this, we'll we'll take our second break here and then come back with the second half of our uh, conversation talking about uh, veterans issues. You are listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal law enforcement officer, then you know to do your job, you tap inside sources. To have a voice on policy and legislation, you join FLIOA. And when you want federal law enforcement officer news and up-to-date federal court decisions, you read FedAgent.com. If you aren't reading FedAgent.com, subscribe today. It's free. Don't let this source pass you by. I'm John Adler, 
president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio. I'm joined in the studio by Curtis Coy, the Deputy Undersecretary of Economic Opportunity at the Department of Affairs, uh, Ariel De Jesus, the Assistant Director of Veterans Employment and Education at the American Legion, uh, Bill Matheny, the Acting Director of Natural Programs and the Director of Field Operations for Department of Labor's Veterans Employment and Training Services, and Dr. Karen Norvis, the Acting Director of the Transition to Veterans Program Office within the DOD. Uh, we've been talking today about um, initiatives of all of these organizations to uh, ensure that we're uh, providing our, our veterans opportunities after they transition back to civilian life and uh, in the workforce. And uh, we've, we've touched on this a bunch today, uh, the Transition Assistance Program, but I really want to give you each an opportunity to, to flesh out a little bit more about uh, what this program is and uh, both, I guess, a little bit about uh, what, what it was and, and what it is now uh, in, in this more comprehensive and, and integrated program that's, that's driving some of the success that we've been talking about today. Uh, Karen, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Excited to get to talk about this and, and really emphasize the redesigned transition assistance program. And I alluded to this earlier, but to stress this, the program was redesigned to be built around a set of career readiness standards. So these were a set of deliverables that would demonstrate that service members are prepared to transition. To give you some examples of what those career readiness standards might be, uh, service members are required to develop a 12-month post-separation budget to think about the transferability of their military skills to the civilian workforce and what gaps there may be to conduct a gap analysis, to develop a resume or job application materials as appropriate. Those are just a few examples of the types of CRS, as we call them, career readiness standards that became a requirement and a core foundation of the program. Another key change to the program is we have changed, fundamentally changed when we think planning for your transition should happen. The military has implemented a military life cycle transition preparation model. And the idea behind this is instead of waiting until the end of your career, a year out, six months out, whatever it might have been in the past, that you should be preparing for your future career all along the time across your military career. This is a huge fundamental culture change for the military. But the military is embracing this, and we are, we are working very hard to implement this across all installations. But that is another game changer when it comes to the program. The program, in, in terms of the curriculum, and I'll, I'll just give the broad overview and then, and then have all the folks that are here to be able to share particular pieces that each of the interagencies are responsible for. But essentially, and it's, it's implemented slightly differently, each of the services are given installations. But the curriculum consists of five core days. And then depending on the service member's personal career goals, there would be additional two-day tracks that they could participate in. So an entrepreneurship track, if they're interested in potentially starting their own business, if they're planning to go back to school, uh, an accessing higher education track that walks them through the, the thought processes and how to do that, and also a career technical training track if they're interested in getting technical training. So it really is tailored to, to what do I want to do when I make this transition. 
As far as the DOD's curriculum piece, uh, we are responsible for that accessing higher education track, and we work very closely with the Department of Education on that curriculum. We also have a financial planning module uh, within the core days, resiliency model, and uh, the MOC crosswalk is what we call it, but that's the transferability of your military skills to your civilian skills. And those are some key pieces that the DOD is leading the efforts in terms of this program. But it really is interagency, so I'd like to turn it over to my colleagues to share more about the important pieces that they contribute to this program. Uh, thanks, Karen. Karen really is the superstar of all of this, uh, hurting everyone in uh, the Department of Defense is no small task, as you might imagine. Uh, for uh, the VA, uh, we provide a full day, six to seven hours, uh, of letting folks know what their VA benefits are. So you can well imagine if you need to take six to seven hours to explain what somebody's benefits are, it's a rich suite of benefits. Uh, and so we talk about uh, life-altering tools like the post-9-11 GI Bill. So since the post-9-11 GI Bill has been implemented, uh, over 1.6 million folks have used it uh, at a cost of about $68 billion. This is a significant and massive uh, program that, that makes uh, higher education or technical training available to someone uh, across the board. Uh, the post-9-11 GI Bill is revolutionary uh, in the way it's set up. Uh, the VA pays for your tuition. Uh, we pay for your books and supplies. And we pay you a housing allowance uh, depending on how where you live in the country and where you're going to school. So that's powerful. Uh, we have our voc rehab and employment program where we've now serving over 137,000 veterans who are disabled uh, or wounded warriors. That's a 37% increase from the year before. So the word's getting out in terms of these programs. Uh, we've seen in just the last year, VA home, loan uh, home loans have grown to over 700,000. That's at a time when uh, the housing market for um, the rest of the country is in its worst situation where less people own homes in the last 50 years or so. Uh, we've seen our disability backlog claims uh, go down over 90% now. So what we're seeing is, is that we have veterans and their spouses now that are aware of this rich suite of benefits. And it's, it's exciting, as you might imagine, to, to see that they're starting to leverage and use those benefits, which is exactly what the American public want them to do. And so um, to sort of round out that five-day experience that these transitioning service members and their spouses go through is uh, the Department of Labor's Employment Workshop. And so that's three days, uh, 24 contact hours. And so if you think about what is it that somebody needs to know to transition, learn about civilian career, where they want to go, what they want to do, what's needed, 24 hour contact hours, three days is not a lot of time to fit all that in. So we've got, had some learning that's taken place over the five years of the, uh, since the VOW Act was enacted. Um, to try to really focus from trying to cover everything that's out there to making sure that we give them all the resources that are out there, but really tailoring it down to what are the critical things that um, our transitioning folks 
need to be successful. And we base that on a variety of things, feedback from employers um, and especially feedback from our transitioning service members and graduates that have, that have given us feedback down the road. So today, that employment workshop is laser focused on some key areas. First, uh, I think what you've heard all of us talk about is um, not, to, not to go into transition making it up as you go along. So have a plan. And so each of the different elements of the week is focused on giving some information and letting folks figure out what their lives are going to look like as they move forward. So they develop this individual transition plan and they start looking at what's the reality out there. Let's look around and do some research on whether the career I want to go into is going to be available, accessible, and be able to help me meet my financial goals that um, Karen was talking about. So some initial research that way. Then we move into the, the resume building and uh, that Karen mentioned, as well as how to interview. Um, so to talk civilian speak, um, that uh, is a way to translate the skills that all of our service members have picked up in a way that is familiar. And one of the newest things that we've really focused on, and this is directly feedback from what we've been seeing in the workforce, is once you get that job, what does this take to stay in that job and stay healthy, happy, a good fit, and be able to be successfully acculturated into that organization? And so that's the other most recent part, just in the, this year's version of the curriculum that we've added. I'll just throw in one other quick, uh, you know, I mentioned the cultural shift that uh, uh, the VOW Act has created. Uh, for the VA, for example, uh, we have over 300 now benefits advisors, and they are permanently located at 107 different military installations, and they also have about another 180 satellite locations. And Karen talked about it a little bit, but these folks are there on the base, and they're available to uh, people on the base and their spouses and their dependents uh, the entire time that they're there. So what does that mean? Karen talked a little bit about the military life cycle, and it means that uh, our benefits advisors can talk to uh, soldiers, sailors, Marines, and airmen uh, before they even are thinking about transition, but letting them know about their benefits. Uh, it's an incredibly uh, changing tool that we have that allows the VA to be on those bases. And in many cases, VA had never been represented on those bases. You know, I was listening and, and to my colleagues here in the agencies, and, and they're right. The, the transition assistance program, it's, it's definitely changed from five years ago, uh, hands down, and all for the better. Here at the American Legion, what we would really like to see more is, is we, we talked about all the information that's put into this uh, transition uh, assistance program. It's a lot of information, a lot of information. And while it's great information, I think we need to perhaps maybe even make it, I know it's mandatory for at least one time for transition, but make it maybe twice. Because uh, I know when I went through and when I talked to some service members, when they initially go through, they're going through, but are they really focusing on, on what's being put out there initially? Um, I know we, we try to get them out there in the 18-month or the 12-month time frame, as you were talking about. Mm. But then as time gets closer, do they remember what they sat through? Mm -hmm. Do we need to make sure that we give them a, maybe not the whole five days, but maybe a smaller condensed version of a refresher of some sort to, you know, to, to kind of help them remember and jog what they, they mm -hmm. did take in and learn? Um, and that way they, they're not going out there and say, well, I know we talked about this and 
flipping through the book and looking through notes and nine times out of ten the spouse probably has it and she remembers it and you know that's what we rely on right? but we we need to do something to maybe do it twice 18 months six months within a year or something of that nature to to make sure that they got the information uh, and ariel i couldn't agree more you know the uh it is a lot of information so uh this has uh, been delegated out to the commanders of all these military units to really be responsible for, just like their other missions, helping prepare their, their soldiers, Marines, sailors, airmen. And so uh, what we've seen is that from the, the TAP perspective, you can go through it as many times as you want. So those commanders that are embracing it are allowing multiple times to go through. And still, it's a lot of information no matter how many times you go through. So I think one of the other cool innovations of a 21st century approach to TAP is the fact that we've got these resources available after the fact so that if you are scratching your head or you did lose the booklet in, in the box from the move or whatever, you can go online to find them. The, the participant guide is now an ebook available for free on Amazon that you can download and you can download it whether you, it's not behind a firewall. Service members, family members can download it. If you're a submariner getting ready to go out and you're not going to be connected to the internet, download it to your device beforehand and you've got it to read while you're um, on patrol. And then when you come back, you're ready to re-engage. So we've tried to make sure that uh, all those materials are available to, as touch points as long as you want them and all the things that are talked about are available to all um, veterans who go through those job centers to get the same kind of information wherever they are for the rest of their lives. And they get the priority of service as you talked about earlier. And I would just add that is not only the DOL employment workshop materials, but the entire curriculum mm -hmm. is available online for service members, spouses, also veterans that may have gone through the program before it was redesigned can have access to these materials. The other piece that, that hit me that I realized we haven't talked about yet, but as we were discussing some other things, is yes, we redesigned this program now several years ago, but the program continues to be refreshed annually. So it's not that we hit the button and did a lot of work and said, we're good. We are. We have this rigorous evaluation plan where we are looking at multiple sources of information, including service member feedback specifically and spouse feedback, to make determinations of what do we need to continue to do. Because the needs of the service members may change and the, the, the environment that they're moving into may change. And that's a very serious commitment that the interagencies have made uh, to ensure this program remain, remains effective. And that, that reflects, you know, you all spoke to, to a culture change. And, and this is, to me, kind of reflects a broader change in government of, of focusing on customer service, not just setting a program down and then it will stay that way for who knows how long, but really uh, integrating a constant feedback loop, thinking about is what we're doing working? If not, where do we need to pivot? Um, and, and I just think that that's such an important thing because it speaks to, are we effectively using taxpayer resources? Are we giving folks the help that they need? Or is the situation out there on the ground changing? And if so, how do we get ahead of that so we don't leave service members behind once, once they leave and, and enter the civilian workforce? Yeah, I, I think the idea of continuous improvement uh, is embedded into the program. I mean, uh, to the point where, uh, from a specificity standpoint, uh, we've agreed that we're going to have a hard review, meaning we're going to tear the program apart and put it back together. 
to a softer review, and that review is making sure all the links work and that the data is up to date and the numbers are correct and so on. And we're doing that every other year. It's rather fascinating when you think of a government program that reinvents itself literally every year to two years. Yeah, I mean, this year's TAP isn't the same as it was two years ago, and two years from now, it'll be a different experience as well. And interesting, just to add to the fact, in looking at the the feedback from service members, we have seen perceptions of, uh, their positive perceptions of the program continue to grow. So we are learning and we are improving continuously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing I, I did hear is, was um, that the fact the program is available even after you leave service for up to, I want to say up to a year. Mm-hmm. Definitely like to see it a little bit longer, but uh, I have seen and I've heard from service members that uh, they've gone back to it, um, and they were able to get on there and able to to sit through it once uh, once again. Uh, I know I brought that up earlier. It's just it's definitely something I'm hearing, where you know again, as you said, people's situations and circumstances change um, every ninety days, some every day. So you know, being able to have that opportunity to go back to it and revisit it, I think is crucial and vital. Uh, and again, like you said, things are always changing and. What today was today, tomorrow is something completely different, and that's the way we do business. So we want to make sure that we're definitely arming them and giving them the tools, especially for our older generation, you know, where they might have, you know, been set in one area for an extended period of time, and then all of a sudden now they got a career change. Well, now what are we going to do, and how do we um, how do we adjust? Right? So making it easy for them and accessible, it's definitely crucial, being sure that they stay employed gainfully meaningfully absolutely uh well on that note let's take our final break of of the show here um and then we'll dive in with our our last segment you're listening to fed talk on federal news radio 1500 a.m Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We're entering the last segment of our show, uh, talking about uh, veterans issues, particularly how uh, agencies, including the uh, the VA, the DOD, the Department of Labor, uh, as well as groups like the American Legion and veteran service organizations are, are working together to uh, um, drive down veterans unemployment and, and find our, our, our veterans in, in the civilian realm um, gainful and meaningful um, employment. Uh, we've talked a lot today about um, evolution of, of the Transition Assistance Program, um, the impact of the uh, Vow to Hire Heroes Act. Uh, and I just want to focus this this last segment of the show on um, how your organizations are working with uh, not only um, service members, but more importantly, employers to let them know about uh, the skills and abilities of our veterans out there when when they leave the service, um, how some of those things are working. And then, and of course, uh, for the end of the show, making sure that we provide our listeners an opportunity to know where they can go for um, 
more information. Um, uh, Kurt, you mentioned that uh, you were at the uh, Chamber of Commerce's uh, Hire Our Heroes uh, uh, event uh, yesterday. Um, I know that's one program, but 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 uh, you know what what is uh, how are how are your organizations hooking employers on uh, recognizing the the value that veterans can bring to their organizations? It, it's a great question, Jason, and uh, uh, and it's interesting. I know Bill is is uh, anxious to. to uh, uh, talk about uh, the 2,500 American job centers, and and they are in the communities. One of the things uh, that we've also learned is, and, and something the Secretary McDonald kicked off, uh, was an idea of my VA communities. And what that does is that brings together in each community uh, a senior VHA person, uh, Health Administration, uh, and a senior VBA person, Benefits Administration person, um, and they sit in the community with the various community stakeholders. It could be our friends at the Legion who are in the community there. Uh, we, we bring in our partners at labor, and so those folks that are working at the American Job Centers. Uh, and so you look at all of these things, and you bring these people together, and some of the things are big problems, and they need to go up uh, the line to be resolved, whether it be by uh, uh, congressional action, whether it be by budget action, uh, but in nine times out of ten, there are local issues uh, that this My VA Communities group does. We've already created over 80 of them. Uh, the secretary has pledged that we're going to have over 100 of them by the end of the year. So that's one piece of, of the way the VA is getting out into the communities, and it's a community engagement. I think the other thing, you know, when you talk about employers, uh, from a VA perspective, when we talk to them, uh, and I alluded to it earlier, and that is employers need to understand the suite of benefits that veterans are entitled to. Uh, and that ranges in many different ways. I mentioned earlier the post-911 GI Bill. Um, many companies have tuition assistance programs. Uh, you hire a veteran, uh, they come with this suite of post-911 GI Bill benefits where they can go to institutions of higher learning. Many companies uh, have apprenticeship and on-the-job training programs. You can leverage your post-911 GI Bill and get extra benefits in those programs. The GI Bill can also pay for technical programs. Uh, so you can learn to be a welder or a cake decorator or a barber or a beautician or uh, any number of things, uh, HVAC repair, you name it. So that's also critical. One of the other things that in this report that the uh, chamber did, is they interviewed uh, over 400 HR professionals and, and well over 1,000 veterans who had transitioned in the last five years. The HR professionals said they view veterans in the following order. They're disciplined, they're punctual, they're team players, they're loyal, they're hardworking, they're leaders, they're cool under pressure, they're mature, so when you look at a workforce that comes to your company with those attributes, they're not built in, and the company doesn't have to do anything, they can just do it. The other thing is, is companies need to understand that other folks in that company need to understand um, what veterans are about, what the military is about, so they've embarked upon training programs to do that. And what you find is, is with the combination of benefits and the combination of characteristics of veterans, you've got a winning combination. And what they find is, yeah, hiring veterans is the right thing to do, and, and perhaps that, 
that makes you feel good. But in the end, what they find out is that veterans are good for business. And the minute they do that, the next step is, how do I get more of that? Uh, and so it's a, it's a great opportunity for employers out there. And uh, so, so Kurt just nailed that, you know, it, as an employer, a business owner, why should I hire a veteran? And Kurt made a compelling case there. So then the next question is, so now how do I do it? Where do I find these veterans that you say are such valuable resources? And since we're talking today about the transition stage of, of going from serv- in military service to out of service, we know that um, peop- our veterans don't necessarily stay right where they transition out of. So I might be stationed at Fort Drum, New York, but might want to go back to Montana. So what's the job market out there? So the solution is some of what Kurt was talking about with the MyVA communities where we've got this network going. That Part of the answer is this network of American job centers, nearly 2,500 of them around the country. And employers um, in local areas can plug into those networks that have job listings and post their job listings specifically for veterans on their state uh, labor exchanges that then get networked across the country and uh, if I am at Fort Drum and say I want to go home to Montana and work in this area, they can help me find the job postings in my hometown and and help that link up before I ever take the boots off. So I think the the local approach. If you're an employer, um, reach out to one of the resources that that Kurt and I have talked about, and you're only a click or a phone call away from getting linked up with the folks that can actually put you in touch with qualified veterans that are ready, willing, and, and trained to work for you. You know, one of the things that the American Legion is doing at the local level um, is is definitely getting out there into the community. I know we try to um, uh, create our own career fairs um, for the local area. We bring in local companies that are, are right there for those veterans that do finally come back home to whether it be Montana or, or elsewhere. Um, but just connecting them with, with good uh, organizations and good companies by holding these these uh, particular career fairs. Um, in, in addition to that, I know at the uh, national level, I get a lot of uh, American Legion reps throughout the country that are sending me vacancies from companies that are looking to hire veterans, um, either nationwide or for that particular area. And what I try to do is I get phone calls um, and I try to link up those those veterans um, with those companies, and you know, they send me resumes. I forward them out. I, I do what I do, and in order to help them, um, you know, get connected, it, it's important. And, and everyone's already said it's important that we all work together, which is the key word there. We all work together. Um, so, I'll leave it at that. I would add too, in terms of opportunities for employers to think about. There is also an opportunity for employers to gain early access to service members before they become veterans through the DOD Skill Bridge Authority. So through the DOD Skill Bridge, this enables service members to obtain civilian job skills training from private sector employers up to six months prior to their separation from the military. So it's an exciting new program that the DOD is leveraging. I would also mention that I couldn't agree more with what Kurt has said in terms of the value of the veteran and that We've changed in the space to now understanding it's not just the good thing to do, it's the smart thing to do. It's your competitive advantage to, to leverage this, this population of talent. Some of the challenges we've seen, though, is that there's still struggles in terms of understanding 
exactly what level of we turn them essential skills, those leadership skills, those decision-making skills, teamwork skills, what level do service members have depending on their rank? And how do we how do we know that from the employer side or from the service member side? How do I convey these skills? They are so used to thinking this is a normal thing that everybody has these skills that they may not know how to talk about those things or explain them in their resumes. And so the Transition to Veterans Program Office has been working with the RAND Corporation and we're wrapping up a project right now, actually codifying those essential skills for service members and developing materials for both employers and the service members to better understand those and communicate those. Great. Uh, thank you, Karen. And uh, thank you all uh, again today. I had, uh, we're entering the last m- moment of our show here, and I, I want to thank uh, all of our guests for, for being here. Uh, Curtis Coy, the Deputy Undersecretary of Economic Opportunity with the Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, Ariel De Jesus, the Assistant Director of Veterans Employment Education at the American Legion. Uh, Bill Matheny, the Acting Director of uh, National Programs and the Director of Field Operations at the Department of Labor's uh, Veterans Employment Training Service. And Dr. Karen Orvis, the Acting Director of the Transition to Veterans uh, program office within the DOD. I encourage all of our listeners to check out these organizations and their websites for, for more information. That's all the time that we have on Fed Talk. Uh, Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Branson, and Roth. Hope everyone has a great weekend. Thank you.